0: Pastor Chris's podcast. So today we're going to begin a new series for the four Sundays that are leading up to Christmas. We will consider four epics of Israel. An epic is a period of time typically a period of time in history typically that's marked by notable events or characteristics. The Bible is a great story of God's rescue plan for humanity it is marked by many great epics there is the epic of creation and the fall of humanity when adam and eve sinned against god and were cast out the garden of eden then there is the dark epic that followed as humanity descended far into sin so far that the most merciful thing god could do was to destroy the whole earth with a flood and start over with noah Then there is the epic of God's covenant with Abraham, where God chooses one man's family to represent him to the whole world. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, migrated to Egypt where they were enslaved, but God rescued them. Let's review what happened in the epic of the Exodus. Please join me in this responsive reading on the screen. The Lord our God is mighty to save. He rescued the Israelite slaves from, Egyptian, from the Egyptian empire. Moses led the Israelites to the edge of the Red Sea. He parted the sea so Israel could walk through on dry ground. God led Moses and the Israelites to Mount Sinai to make a sacred covenant. If they would trust God and be faithful to obey his law. The Lord promised to lead Israel into a land flowing with milk and honey. so So God made them wander in the desert until that unfaithful generation passed away. Then the time came for the Lord to lead Israel into the promised land. And so the first epic of Israel begins, the epic of conquest. The ragtag rabble of slaves that left Egypt had been transformed into an army of God's faithful hardened by 40 years of nomadic desert living. They are thirsty and fin- to finally take possession of the promised land and to begin their life as God's kingdom on earth. But in order to do it, the Israelites must first conquer the Canaanites who live in the land. Moses is dead, so God appoints Joshua as the new commander and chief. By the way, the name Joshua and the name Jesus are actually the same name in the same sense as for us, Robert and Bobby and Bob are all really the same name, just different, pronounced differently for different occasions. Jesus and Yeshua and Joshua were all the same names that were pronounced differently by different people at different times. And in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, we read God's instructions to Joshua. They will be the war cry of the entire book and the entire epic of the conquest of Canaan. Let me read to you from Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The word of the Lord says, Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions, all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Canaan was a land full of cruelty and debauchery, that had persisted for hundreds of years. You can be sure that our merciful God gave the Canaanites every opportunity possible to repent and to be saved. But there comes a moment when your time runs out. That time had come for the Canaanites. The Canaanites lived in fortress cities like Jericho, (coughs) surrounded by impregnable walls. Israelite spies had described them as giants who could not be defeated. But if the Lord can defeat the mighty Egyptian empire, then he can defeat the Canaanites. And and that's just what God does as you go through the book of Joshua. In battle after battle, the Lord God of Israel defeats every king in Canaan. No one can stand against him. But here's the thing that you may miss if you don't think about it, if you don't look careful. The victory in battle in Joshua is never won by the people. It's always won by God, not the Israelite army. It is God who does the fighting. It says in Joshua 23.10, each one of you, will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the lord your god fights for you just as he promised how can any one soldier put to flight a thousand enemies only if god is the one empowering them to do it perhaps the best depiction of this is in the the famous story of the battle of jericho many children learn this when they're young in bible school or sunday school and they even write songs about it the walls, of, you know what, how's the song go? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, right? So how did that happen? What was God's war plan? What was the battle plan? It's not anything that a military soldier would look at and say, now that'll work. <laughs> Instead, he says, I want you to go and march around the city of Jericho. Every day, I want you to march around it. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And then when you're done with that, I want you to circle around it. I want you to blow trumpets. And I want you to shout. That's the plan. That's the battle plan. It's uh, it's ludicrous. No military person would ever look at that and say, yeah, that'll work. But it worked. Why? Because the battle was not human. It was a spiritual battle fought by God. And he won it himself. And interestingly enough, we don't know for sure if this is the actual site of Jericho, but many archaeologists believe that it is. In the ancient city of Jericho, which is a very ancient city, by the way, Jericho has been built and destroyed and built and destroyed numerous times. But one of the the, um, ruins in the city of Jericho that they found, that they believe dates to about the time when Joshua would have been there. There is a fortress city where the walls have collapsed. And the interesting thing about it is that the walls collapsed outward, not inward. Now think about that. If you were an army surrounding a fortified walled city, and you were trying to break the walls down, which way would the walls fall? They would fall inward, not outward. The only way that they would fall outward is if the people inside the city knocked the walls outward. Why would they do that? Or if an earthquake happened that caused the walls to come tumbling down, which could have happened by the hand of God. Very interesting. It is God who does the fighting. The Israelites just have to be faithful and trust God and be obedient. Whenever they are faithful and obedient, God wins the victory for the Israelites. Whenever the Israelites lose faith and are disobedient or believe that they are fighting and winning the battle on their own strength, they are always defeated. Well, the conquest of Canaan shows us two things. First, it shows that God it shows God's judgment of a Canaanite sinfulness. Second, It is a test of Israel's faithfulness to God. Now there are three important lessons that we can learn from Israel's conquest of Canaan. We learn the first lesson from the sad demise of the Canaanites. And it's this. Judgment will come. God is very patient. The Canaanites lived in sin for hundreds of years. In Genesis... When Abraham visited Canaan, we read some of the terrible things that they did. In addition to rejecting the one true God for idols, the Canaanites raped and murdered. They were sexually immoral and, uh, and morally depraved. They sacrificed children to their idols as part of their religious practice. I was watching a documentary about the Canaanites this past week. And it was telling that when one king defeated a rival city, they would go into that city and they would skin everybody in the city alive and then hang their bodies out on display. Those kinds of things do not make a merciful and loving God happy. But those are the kinds of things that sinful people do when they turn their back on God. And start making up their own rules. You go down that road for long enough and you can come to all kinds of terrible things. We've seen that not just in the ancient past, but in the recent past, in in things like Nazi concentration camps trying to exterminate an entire race of people and other things as well. And we know from scripture that this evil persisted in Canaan For well over 600 years. Because it was there when Abraham visited. And it is still going on now as Joshua arrives. Some 600, almost 700 years later. And and God finally says, enough is enough. And at just that time, the Israelites show up on the doorstep of Canaan. Ready to execute God's judgment. If you are clinging to your sin refusing to surrender to God and repent, you you need to understand, time is limited. Patience and mercy does not go on forever. God is patient, but he will not delay judgment forever. You will have to face God's judgment one day soon. Jesus is either going to come back for the whole world all at once, as he said, or you come back for you individually when you take your last breath? What will you say when you stand before God face to face? How will you answer for what you've done? Well, a lot of people say, Jesus forgives, and this is true. Jesus does forgive, but Jesus forgives those who repent. When Jesus came the first time, he was born as a baby in a manger and he grew up and he began to preach. And the very first sermon that he preached according to scripture in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 was this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Romans chapter 8 verse 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for the heart of a person be- for with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. A person who truly believes in Christ knows that he's coming back, as he said he will. We will have to face him. And if he is Lord, we need to turn from trying to live life our own way and turn to the life that he has for us to live. And time is ticking, and so we should repent, so we will be ready. The second lesson from the conquest is that God fights for those who are faithful and obedient. When we trust God through Jesus Christ, we are in a new covenant with God. He becomes our Lord, and we become His people. He promises to fight for us. As Isaiah forty, as Isaiah fifty four seventeen promises, no weapon that is formed against you will succeed, and you will con- you will condemn every tongue that confu- co- accuses you in judgment. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's a great promise that we have in the Lord. Therefore, the third lesson for us today is be strong and courageous. The conquest was a test for the Israelites. God did the fighting, but the Israelites had to step onto the battlefield. There are tests in our lives too. God does the fighting, but we have to trust him enough to show up for the fight. We must step out onto the battlefield. We must be vulnerable and trust that he will be our strength and our shield. So as we come to the, the close of the message today, I want to know, what are the battles that you are facing in your life? What battles lie between you and the blessings God wants to give you? For some, one of the battles might be a fear of turning to the Lord, of repenting and turning to the Lord. What will people think if I do that? You know, there are a lot of people that say, well, I'm a man or I'm a woman of science, of, of education, of, of rationality. What will people think if I turn and put my faith in a God that no one can see. You know, that's not incredibly different from something that the Israelites had to do, but maybe in a slightly different way. You know, we look at people who worship idols today, and we think, how silly is it for someone to worship a statue? But the interesting thing is in the ancient world, people thought of the Israelites, how silly you worship an invisible God. They would would say, look, here is our God. You can see him. You can touch him. You can put food in front of his altar. This idol is our God. And they would look at the Israelites and say, where is your God? And the only answer that they could give was, well, you can't see him. He's invisible. (laughs) And the people in the ancient world thought, That was ludicrous. Well, we don't worship statues today, most of us. But we, oftentimes people in our world say to us, to believers, where is your God? And we say, well, you can't see him. He's invisible. And they may say, well, I trust in science. I trust in in my job. I trust in my country. I trust in money and political power and influence. All of these things that you can see that are tangible and you believe in an invisible god that you can't see. And they think we're silly for being that way. And so one of the battles that we each one of us may have to face is this Fear that people are going to think we're crazy, that we're irrational, deluded. Another battle may be a fear that you might not want to or be able to surrender yourself. Am I willing to give up my hopes and my dreams and the life I've planned for myself and turn it everything over to Christ and say, I will follow you instead. That could be very difficult. But I want you to know that just as for the Israelites in the conquest of Canaan, the battle is not yours to fight. The Lord will fight the battle, but you have to be ready and willing to let him. You have to be willing to step out onto the battlefield, trusting that he will fight for you. Other people today may be battling something more specific, more practical. Maybe you have an illness that you are dealing with. Maybe you are facing a career change where you give up uh, a career that you have trusted to take care of you and provide for you, but maybe now you feel that you need to go in a different direction. Or it could be that you are entering into a new stage of life which will bring great change to you and your family maybe you are preparing to have a child or you're preparing to let your children go or you are preparing to retire maybe this change is not for you personally but it's for someone you love like your parents or your children and it seems frightening Or unsteady. I want you to know today that you can trust God to fight that battle for you too. That doesn't mean you sit back and do nothing. You still have to step out onto the battlefield. But God will fight the battle if you trust in Him. And if you follow obediently the battle plan He lays out before you. Of course, a lot of us are also engaged in a very real battle right now against COVID-19. Where we are having to deal with this terrible pandemic that has changed all of our lives. And it's a very, it's a, it's a very interesting battle that we have to fight. Because on, on the one hand, there is this fear that surrounds us and grips us that tells us just lock yourself in your home and don't leave and don't do anything. That's the only way you can stay safe. But I don't think that's what God wants us to do. On the other end of that spectrum are people who who go out into the world and pretend like nothing has changed. They don't take any precautions at all. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do either. I think God has a plan, and He's showing it to us through experts who who are trying to give us advice on what to do, and through our common sense as we go out. And we have to find that middle road where we go out and we don't let fear paralyze us, but at the same time we don't live a reckless life either. The Israelites had to follow God's plan. God didn't tell them to go run up to the walls of the city and pound on the door and say, let us in, let us in. Anybody that did that would have been killed immediately. They had to follow God's plan. What is your plan? Or what is God's plan for you in the world that we are living in today? We don't have to be afraid. We have to be wise. We have to have faith. We have to be obedient. And we have to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. I think this is the word of the Lord for us today. Now it is your turn to respond.